And we're here with a very special back on the block with a very special visitor. That's right. None other than special guest star Alyssa Marr, my one and only. Hi. Hi, Doug. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining again, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Hey, Alyssa. So I have a question before we start. Sure. Is it fair to say that I have turned you into a Melrose fan? Yeah, it is. I really enjoy watching it with you every week. I used to, I watched like some of it when it was first on, but I was probably too young to really get it all. Um, I was going to say you were old enough to like, watch Melrose Place. <laughs> not, no, to answer your question, no, I wasn't. Oh. Did I? Yes. My parents had weird, like, they like didn't care what we watched. Yeah, um, mine, mine were the same. I watched Ordinary People when I was, like, five. Like, that, and that, don't do that to your kids. Like, I watch things now that, as an adult, that they let us watch, and I was like, they let us watch this? Um, so, they, they really didn't have boundaries. I, I had a 90210 lunchbox in kindergarten. <laughs> and it kills me that she doesn't still have it. I don't think so. They must, I don't think my mom threw it out, but yeah. That might be worth money if you can find that stuff. It was like a hard, you know, one of the hard, old hard lunch boxes. Like metal? Is it metal? No, yeah. it wasn't metal. It was plastic. But like the hard plastic, it was purple. Um, it had them all standing in a row. I'm so jealous. Amazing. Amazing. Well, kids, we're at season five, episode seven, Young Doctors in Heat. I have no idea what this meant, the, the title. It just had me, that was a head. There, there was a movie. Is it and Michael? I, I mean, I, I guess it's Michael and Peter. Oh, I guess. I mean. I mean, I don't think they're trying to be literal necessarily. I think Young Doctors in Love was a sort of unfamous movie. And I think it was Gary Marshall's debut as a director. And I kind of think that it's what it was referencing. But it's really one of those references that, like, if you're not Doug Strassler, you're not going to know. So thanks, guys, for doing that for me. But deaf ears all around otherwise. <laughs> Oh, so where do we begin with this one? So, yeah, um, we had a bit of a reveal, which I guess... Um, we do, but let's save that for the end. Yeah, we got to save that for the end, but I'm just going to say I was spectacularly disappointed. Yeah, that's on brand. Yeah. Okay. Are you talking about... No, 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 don't spoil. Okay. Well, Alyssa, you know, you know the thing that Karen is going to be disappointed by. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we'll and listeners we'll, we'll, we'll navigate you on over. But. Yeah, we we will get to that, but I just wanted to put that out there at the beginning that I was spectacularly unhappy with um with the big reveal. Yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. The whole storyline doesn't make sense to me if I'm thinking of what you're thinking of. So, um, it should be interesting to talk about. Right. Okay. So where should we begin? Um, the Matt storyline? Well, why don't we do the smallest storylines and then move into our bigger ones? Okay. So, yeah, okay. the smallest will always be Matt's. Let's start. <laughs> I mean, I guess the whole, you know, Matt is uh, late for rehab. He's supposed to, he's given a second, third, fourth chance by the doctor there. What's his name? Uh, Hathaway. Well, Hathaway. I guess what has happened is, Matt checked himself out last time and then went over to Hathaway's place thinking that he had been the one to out Matt about being an addict, which was why Matt was no longer in the program, the residency, I guess. Um, and then Matt went over to Hathaway's and Hathaway's like, hold on, I got some connections. So by the time we see Matt now, he's back in his residency. So whatever pull Hathaway had, he has exercised it and Matt is like back on track. But as a concession, and also because it seems to be like Matt has a crushy crushy on Hathaway. Matt is in one of these group sessions that Hathaway is conducting. Yes, but he is still not taking his recovery very seriously. He's very late for this this uh, group session that um, almost looks like a, a, an actual class rather than group therapy, but right. that's fine. Dogs. 
Um, and so Mr. Dr. Dr. Hathaway is not very happy about that um, and basically says, you're not off the hook, Fielding. You have to meet with me tomorrow. I have my lunch hour free and we're going to have therapy. And so, you know, flash forward to the next day when they're in this therapy group and it's more like Dr. Hathaway is sort of like doing his, you know, his, his info dump of his life. <laughs> yeah, which isn't very interesting either. It's, it's, he talks about how he couldn't please his father and led to a life of coke and booze, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and you know what? Matt doesn't even share much about his own problems with his own dad, who presumably is still dead because we watched him die last season. But, um, that means nothing. We know how they like to retcon. Um, but instead, Matt like looks at him with googly eyes and is very flirty. It, I mean, it kind of comes out of nowhere to me. If I yes. was like, the last thing I want to do is be in rehab, and this guy is telling me I have to be in rehab, I don't think I'm going to fall in love with him, but I don't know. Yeah, so all of a sudden, Matt's like, we can't be doctor-patient anymore because I, I'm, I'm crushing on you. Or whatever. I mean, it was definitely a little bit more, it was suaver than that. But that was the essence of the conversation. And it just, and it like seriously came out of nowhere. It was just right out of left field. There was no build up, no lead up to this moment, really. Yeah, I think because they haven't figured out a way to have a mad storyline that doesn't involve him sleeping with somebody. Like, he's it's like, oh, he's gay, so he's hypersexualized, and he just has to have the awful boyfriend of the season, right? We have never had, other than when Matt was dealing with, like, the Kimberly, Michael, Sydney stuff, he's never had a storyline that didn't involve dating somebody terrible, right? Um, well, I mean, they've always been dating problems. There was the one, Jeffrey, who was the naval officer, who's been, who oh, right. had AIDS. Who had AIDS. Which is like, of course, then that's the storyline they will also give Matt. But but no, his storylines are so often on the sidelines, which is why his involvement in the Matt, Sid, Kimberly stuff is the best usage of Matt in the whole series and always will be. Yeah, yeah and since then he's like never really interacted. Oh, well, I guess when he worked at Shooters. But like he never really has interacted with anyone else. Like when we talked about this, like when Joe was like, my friend Matt, I have to go visit him in the hospital. It's like, what are you talking about? I never see even have a scene with him. Um, I don't know. Matt just always feels in outside the per, you know, outside looking in and on the periphery. And I always say they never know what to do with him. So no, he's can... always sidelined. And then to make yeah. it worse, to give him a storyline, they always have to give him these terrible situations. And it's like, yeah. just let him be. Yeah. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world to just have Doug Savant in episodes talking to people and, and building some history with them. You know, if he could have just had a couple conversations with Jake during those series of episodes where he was working at Shooters, I bet it would have been really fun to watch. Yeah, and you know, he wasn't he, hasn't he like taken over as like the building manager? And it seemed like I mean, he was- Yeah, I don't know if that's official or not, but- Well, he well, was on speed, he can't do it anymore. He was, oh, that's right, he was on speed. But it seemed like- he was like gonna have some sort of like friendship with Taylor, and then that went no, they you know nothing happened there, and he's just macking on his drug counselor. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't think there's anything involving about it at all. But I, uh, lest we forget, Matt continues flirting with Hathaway here, and um, and he basically fires Hathaway as his. Not sponsor, but rehab counselor, guru person, so they can date. And yeah, but, if I'm Hathaway, I'm thinking, no, this guy hasn't done the work. I shouldn't let him do this and shouldn't date him. But that's not what's going to happen. Okay, because, I mean, at this moment, where we've left things for this episode is just Hathaway blinking at Matt. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Like, he's just blinking at him. Like, what the fuck? Kind of like how we felt watching this yeah pretty much yeah yeah just the what the fuck face yes That's <laughs> what um it's also not moving fast and like i feel like the other storylines are moving fast and this one is just like we're in the same place week after week yeah but i guess i mean because there is always still so little of him i guess how yeah. can that storyline move quickly when they give him like two scenes 
You know, because frankly, if they gave him more than two scenes, it would be really boring because even even as much as they're trying to make these storylines sexy with like drug problems and, you know, it, it, he's it's really boring. They're not and interesting. They, and they had a good staring in a better direction with this, you know, him stealing Michael's prescription pad and Michael being involved. And right. like that seemed juicy. And then to just be like dump him in a rehab with a sexy doctor is kind of like womp womp. You know yeah. what I would have loved? For there to be an actual situation at the hospital where it has to be Matt versus Michael. Where they yeah. turn on each other and one of them has to win because they both have dirt on each other. Yeah. And they both screwed each other over and helped each other out in different ways. And you could mine that somehow. Um, but they don't do that. And, yeah. you know, you're talking, Alyssa, about the Matt storylines being slow, but I also think because they shoehorn these things in out of nowhere that they also move too fast because we don't see any real development. Like, Matt went from having trouble staying awake studying to being, like, on speed in a day. Like, it went it went from zero to 99 in between an episode, too. Yeah, so they, they've sort of never found the happy medium where it's like just right amount of story and progression with Matt per episode. Right. Cause I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I find it very hard to believe he went from, I'm going to take this upper so that I can stay up and study to full blown attic. I need to be in rehab. Right. Like very quickly. Like that was very fast. Yeah. So yeah. Stealing prescription pads and like being in it. You're absolutely right. Like, but at the same time, they, they like they don't give him enough. They don't give him enough screen time to to even push these episodes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's still it it does still feel plotting, even though they're speeding it along. And I not mean, everything story, with you know? Matt feels like they are checking off a box. Yeah. Like, okay, well, we're doing something. We're giving him a storyline. He's getting screen time. Now let's focus back to the things we as writers are interested in. Separately, um, I don't know if you noticed, the director of this episode is Anson Williams, who was Potsy on Happy yeah. Day. Who will continue to direct uh, through the rest of the series, I think. I have to admit, when you said, oh, Anson Williams, I was like waiting for him to show up in the episode. And then, because I didn't know what you were talking about. And then it occurred to me later on after I was like, we knew where did Hoxie come in? <laughs> yeah. Well, he after after Happy Days, he did have a career as as a um as a director, right? It and mostly as a, mostly as a director, yeah. Yeah, like like what did he did he do? I mean, I remember him doing like having this career. I think it was all um like TV, mostly TV dramas. Okay, well, good for him. Yeah, I mean, great for him. He apparently directed 31 episodes of The Secret Life of the American Teenager. I just looked him up on Wikipedia. And Lizzie McGuire and uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, so, okay, not just dramas, too. Oh, look at him. Yeah, he was working. I guess he's retired now. He doesn't seem to be. Well, he's got to be old. He's 70. Well, that's not that old. Not that old. But that means pretty quickly, just like you know, co-star Ron Howard, he segued into directing, too. Yeah, and good for him. Yeah, yeah. good for him. Really. Good for him. Um, okay, anyway, moving on. Moving on. Um, I guess we should talk about Michael. Yeah, here's another weird one. Yeah. So, okay, before we go into it and summarize it for our loyal listeners... I think some of this story is going to make a bit more sense uh, after the next few episodes play out. Um, and I still think, like something else we're going to talk about on this episode, you won't be satisfied with the explanation either. Oh, I'm sure I won't be. <laughs> I, okay, so basically, Michael has been seeing <laughs> Megan, Megan? Megan, Megan. 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 Played by... Um, Kelly, um, what's her Ke- name? Rutherford, Kelly Rutherford, right? Rutherford. Rutherford. Kelly Rutherford. Um, it, they had they had one night together, right? Like they, they, they had one night together, and all of a sudden, Michael is kind of head over heels for this woman. So, like, he makes Kimberly breakfast in bed because he feels guilty, 
And then he like runs out of there. Oh, I forgot I got to do something at the hospital to bring a bag of groceries to Megan's house. And is while she's walking out, he's trying to walk in saying, I'm, I've come to make you breakfast. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and he's like, what? Because, I mean, he is, she's, she wants nothing to do with him except for sex. Like, that is her boy toy. Right. You know, and so this kind of leaves Michael even more intrigued, we sh- shall we say? Um, yes. And And so, um, you know, she basically, but she says to him, you know, she leaves him on the sidewalk and she's like, I, you know, I'll call you when I want to see you. And, th- and that's it. You don't come over here without me calling you. And then she uh, runs into him on the beach and says, come see me Friday night. And he's all like confused and like, what the fuck? But of course, he's going to go see her Friday night. Sure. But before he goes to see her, he's playing Scrabble with poor Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah. Kimberly is is dealing with this whatever, you know, like sort of physical, sort of mental ailment that may or may not exist, but but she's seeing this this shrink that we never see. Um, and so they're just trying to, like, lay low and be a non-sexual couple. Yes. So now Kimberly's um, therapist that we never see says that the problem might actually be physical and might not be in her head with the fact that they are, she no longer wants to have sex with Michael. Um, so he recommends that she sees a doctor doctor. And while they are playing Scrabble, she gets a phone call from this doctor who says that they've spotted a mask behind her eye that is somewhat concerning and to come in for an MRI the next day, which I guess is Saturday, but I guess they do that in the hospital if it's an emergency. Um, and, and, and so she says, okay, thank you, doctor. Um, that's great news (laughs) because she's not going to tell Michael about this. Right, she's covering what she's hearing on the phone while Michael is in the room. Right, and so and so, my, and then Michael leaves her to go to Kelly Rutherford's. Yeah, he's like, even though we're planning a calm night, and you know what, uh, I gotta go out. Yeah, all of a sudden he has do- three ICU patients yeah. he needs to go see immediately. Yeah, if you think <laughs> if you think that this marriage is in good shape, um, think again. Yeah. So he goes to uh, Kelly Rutherford's and um, there's wine, there's candles, there's fireplace. She's asleep. He starts creeping around the house, I guess, in his skivvies, looking for um, clues about who this woman is. And every drawer he opens is empty. And then she sort of catches him and she's wearing a bathrobe, which she takes off. And she says something to the effect of, um, I'm, everything you need to know about me is right here. Yeah. And that's the end of that um almost except uh, for kimberly except for kimberly who we we actually have a scene of her doctors or i guess her doctor and a radiologist or someone uh very seriously seeing something on her mri yes with an oh my god i believe (laughs) is the excellent the the you know the words nobody wants to hear when they're in the mri machine it's a doctor screaming oh my god which I mean never happens. It's just a it's just a technician and the doctor looks at it in like a little room and usually calls you later. Right. But that's okay. That's okay. They do things differently on Melrose Place. So yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping that this storyline, like I like I wanna like I hope this becomes something because right now it's nothing. Well, I mean, I now she's develop- got a tumor. Well, now she's got a tumor. Yeah, I mean, it develops into something more. I'll keep mum. What were you going to say, Alyssa? I just, Kimberly has never really been my favorite. I've actually never really liked Kimberly, but they've totally neutered her. Yeah, that's the problem. With the storyline, and she's, like, really kind of pathetic. We're just, oh, you know, let's have a quiet night with Scrabble. And, like, the massage scene from a couple weeks ago, and it's like, she's so cringy right now. That now we're going to give her a brain tumor or whatever to add to it. It seems like just, once again, they didn't know what to do with the character. Um, And she's like a a good enough character that you can do a lot with her as seen in the other four, what are we, um, season five? 
the okay. four seasons. So it's like, I feel like it's total like character assassination at this point with Kimberly. Yeah, yeah. I might too, actually. I mean, particularly since what well, a couple of ep- just a couple of episodes ago. I mean, she was like, you know, running this insane asylum, like you know, as like yeah. a lunatic and trying to kill, trying to lobotomize Peter and you know, locking up my, Michael and, and Amanda. And, like, she was, like, insane and fun and doing wacky things. And now, like you said, she's completely neutered. But also, what happened to her memory loss and her split personalities? Like, the split personalities just went away? I guess. Yeah. And then the, the memory loss... She woke up from that it. coma and it was all solved. <laughs> but, like, that would have been... I hate... I I don't mean to rewrite the show, but, like... Another, you know, direction they were going in that seemed like it could have been fun and only would have existed in a 90s show of, like, amnesia. And then it was like, no, never mind. She remembered when it was convenient enough for the Peter storyline. And now she's, like, sitting at home in a book, reading a book, being totally boring and neutered. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you look at during the true high point of Melrose, so much of it revolved around Kimberly and all the yeah. crazy things she was doing. And Kimberly was driving so much storyline with Michael, with Sydney, with Jane, with Joe, with Matt, all of it. And all of them were interconnected at various points. And none of that exists. Like, we're talking about a lot of our sort of legacy, our initial characters are on the fringes. But with Kimberly, there's something extra ball dropping about it. Because she was really, like, spearheading so many of these great storylines. Probably more so, I think, than even Amanda was. Um, and now it's like, well, if you're not going to do anything with Kimberly, why even bother with her? Yeah, they've really sidelined her. Um, I mean, I guess they're feeling like they've done so many wacky things with her. Maybe she does need to be sidelined side for a minute. Well, here's the other thing. And it's not... I don't think I'm really breaking news. This will be like many's March across his last season. And I'm just not sure if they're like, you know what? Let's find a way to start working on writing these people out and pay a bit more attention to how we can build stories for the new blood, for people like uh, Brooke Langton and, and Lisa Rinna and Rob Estes. So did they know at the beginning of this series that it was going to be her last season? My guess is yes. Okay. I'm not sure if they knew that for everyone. I know I didn't know that for most of the cast until shortly before the end, after they had already filmed their last episodes, but were doing like the promotional rounds. Um, typically what was happening is they were all guest stars or not, they were all making appearances on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And that was where you went to announce you were leaving your show. And they each did that. But I have a feeling I knew earlier for just for Marsha Cross um that she would be leaving and she's not she's not leaving immediately we still have a lot of the season left i just feel like they're working more at like trying to find a way out for her than they are trying to really keep her in the mix you know it's one thing to do that with you know hypothetically speaking billy because how much did he ever add to the show not a lot even matt as much as we like him but, like, Kimberly was your show. Matt yeah. was, you know, Michael, excuse me, was your show. Sid was your show. Don't, you know, take these people for granted. Right. right. So, that's what I think about that. We'll find anyway. out a bit more. Something I, I know I said last week, this episode, The Young Doctors in Heat, was part of a double episode that aired the same night, because these were Sweeps episodes. But technically, they're two different episodes. They have different names and numbers. So there's more to come in each of these storylines that if we were watching in real time, we would see that same night. But for our purposes, no, we have to wait until the next episode watch to learn a bit more. I mean, I guess I, I guess that's good because I would have never guessed that this was a sweeps episode. Like, I'm hoping that maybe with the other one added in, it makes it a sweeps episode. But this, to me, on its own, did not feel remotely like a sweeps episode. And in retrospect, a lot of these haven't. Not when you compare them to, say, like, Boxing Sid or, what, you know, those episodes, which were like so much was happening. 
Oh, you mean like early, early? Like, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, like season five, and I would say season four, like what qualified as a sweeps episode, you know, like Brooke dying, uh, Vic from North Hollywood showing up and then dying. Like, those are not the same as, you know, you know, uh, Kimberly kidnapping Joe's baby and, and Allison <laughs> having to go to rehab, stuff like that. Right, right. Or Sydney and Michael out in the woods while he's trying to kill her and Matt's chasing Or Jane around. and Sid in the pool. Jane and Sid in the pool. Oh my God, this this show used to be so good. <laughs> I, know. Uh, <laughs> I know, like we were even like, I forgot going back to Kimberly. Doug reminded me the other day that I forgot all about Kimberly stealing Joe's baby, remember? I know, right? get off as her own. So long ago. And now she's playing Scrabble. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to sideline her, like they've sort of sidelined Billy, but it's another thing to just really change the character and, and neuter her and turn her into something. I mean, I guess Kimberly's always a different character. <laughs> but, like, to just make her into this passive, sort of pathetic character. Because that's not who she is. And, right. and, and and by that I really mean that's not what our audience demands of her. Right. And usually, I mean, over time, characters morph. Usually they go from being bad guys to heroes or heroines. Um, but this has happened very quickly. I mean, this show very quickly went from being must-see TV to, like, watch your legacy characters kind of peter away, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like, what what I'm wondering, too, at this point, like, we realize if this show was airing now in 2020, they would be savaged on social media. Was any of this happening in, like, the celebrity press? Like, were people's, I mean, I guess recaps weren't a thing back back then. But, like, I'm just kind of wondering... was the, what was the the fan reaction and the and the and the press reaction? Because I guess that we we didn't really we wouldn't really know the fan reactions because there like was no way to measure that. Specifically around this this yeah, period well, for the show. Just so, how the how the show seems to be just taking this nosedive. These are the couple things that I believe were happening as best as I can remember. Um, one is there was no there were no recaps. There was no social media. There was no there was no like taking TV seriously enough to dissect it. At all. Ever. You just watched it and talked about it the next day. And with this show, because it was so campy, it was just celebrated. There were still all the nights out at the bar. Like, this this audience, it was really appealing to people who were, like, playing drinking games and, like, shouting back out to the show. You know, I would remember every morning watching it or listening to the radio and they would always have a Melrose Minute and they would play clips and they would share their lines of the night. The other thing is, Fox had already stopped putting its money into Melrose and 90210. Melrose is in season five, 90210 is in season seven. Um, and for a while, they were thinking that that would be the last season for 90210 because the kids were graduating college. Meanwhile, they had X Files, which was winning awards left and right, uh-huh. and Party of Five, which was like now a serious drama for the show and had also just won a Golden Globe. So, uh-huh. really, all of their eggs were out of the Aaron Spelling basket in Fox. The ads, the attention, the magazine covers, they were all Gillian Anderson, David Duchovny, Nev Campbell, who also would very soon be starring in Scream, which would pull the focus even more towards Party of Five. So people really were not paying attention at all to what was happening on Melrose enough to tear it apart. Okay, that's that's sort of where I was wondering where people where this was in that sort of celebrity fuel, you know, in, in that in the media world, um, and that kind of makes sense for actually where the where the show went. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are like under the radar storylines. This is like we're we're putting stuff on the air, but their response almost doesn't even matter. It's just we're filling advertising time. Yeah, like it kind of feels like they're phoning it all in at this point. Uh, yes, which is maybe one of the reasons why a lot of the cast members also left. Probably. Um, should we talk about Billy's half a half a minute? Uh, yeah, let's, so let's let's start at the beginning because I think we can sweep in a lot of the boring Jane, Jake, Allison stuff. 
uh, it, it eventually get to Billy. Uh, explain and just, to me, explain to me, explain to me how you make a stalking storyline this dull. Holy shit. Because it's like really happens off camera. I mean, it is so boring. Meanwhile, and I think, Alyssa, you said this, I guess, to me off the podcast a couple weeks ago. Jane is the new Kimberly. Yes. Yeah. Like, Jane is obsessive. Jane is deranged. Jane is unstoppable. Um, is Jane is essentially channeling Kimberly from season two. But you, not in a fun way. Yeah, but, but which I guess would have, but it's not working. It's just not working. No, and, like, and I think more maybe they want this to be done. Like, I almost feel like maybe it is because the backstory, like, Jane went crazy because she was raped. And frankly, that's just tragic. That is a big deal. That is a big part of it. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to have fun with this when, well, A, like you said, we're not seeing much of the stalking. We're just hearing about it afterwards. And I never feel like there, like anyone's in any danger because, I mean, it's Jane. And also, like, you can't, like, I don't know, like, the, I think, no, I, I think, think- no, making it's, it's her, so making many it, things. Yeah, I th- I just feel like making it a product of what had happened to her with being raped just makes it n- not something to sort of have fun with. Yeah, there's so many things happening. So uh, for me, it goes back to all, all the season four stuff that you mentioned. Jane and Jake were put together very quickly, no chemistry, and then very quickly disintegrated. Richard raped Jane, and so Jane is now a broken woman, which is not fun to watch. Meanwhile, I want to root for Jane's recovery. I want to root for Jane's independence. And I want to root for Jake and Allison to just have a moment together that is fun. Right. Nice to watch. So we're not getting any of that. But really the root of it is what you said, which is this all stems from Jane's assault. And it's, that's icky. It's icky to build this like stalkery thing around, especially because it doesn't have anything to do with the Jane we would have known before. The right. the best moments of Jane are always when she's able to assert herself, like when Richard first entered the fray, um, like when she's able, when Sid needed a talking down and she was able to give it to her, stuff like that. Um, so I don't know. Let's let's just very quickly get through this, and then we can talk about, you know, our Billy scene because that's that's really what Alyssa loved the most. I know. <laughs> So Jane has now started this new charade since Jake caught her stalking them, that that Jake is stalking her. Um, she tells Jake to stay away, and she filed a TRO, which I don't know how that works when you a restraining order for someone who whose apartment basically is adjoining yours. Um, and so, okay, Kyle and Sid factor into this a little bit too because... Kyle comes to Sid and say that people want more of these Samuel Kira paintings, which are the the Samantha Riley paintings. Um, and Sid has this fantasy where Kyle comes to her and they kiss. So after that, we also see Sid and Jake at Kyle's. And this is a scene that I that I like that we don't always see, which is people acting rationally. Like, yeah, Jake knows that Jane is unstoppable he talks to her sister to try and see what can be done. And this is almost a scene out of a different show because Sid is logical too. Um, Sid tells Jake that he is the problem. He can't confront Jane because he represents something to Jane in her mind that she just can't get past. And Sid is hopeful that if he stays away, it will resolve itself. Now, this is like no Sid we've ever seen before, but it makes sense. And it continues with, you know, Sid season five being like a mature adult among a a, a sea of like ridiculous people. Also, it's in that scene at Kyle's that he mentions that he was a Marine, which I'm not sure we knew before, but that will come up again in future episodes this season. You know, it's it's funny because this sort of, I I had a note, sorry, I was flipping through my notes. um, I do have notes, yeah. Um, about that moment where um, with Sid sort of like basically saying there's nothing you can do about this. And this is, you know, she, she's broken because of, basically because of you and the rape. And, da, 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 da. and then I said, my note was Sid is being honest here, right? 
And even though it was a lovely moment, it's like because she it's it can be so hard to figure out with her sometimes. Like, is she being honest or is she is there some is there something else behind it? No, I think she's being honest. Yeah, I think it's her just, you know, doing the writer's work and saying, okay. like, look, this is where things currently are. Okay. Um, okay. Like there, okay. there's there isn't more to this as far as I can remember from Sid at all. I think Sid is legitimately being like a good sister to Jane and a friend to Jake. Okay, great. Perfect. In the middle of this terrible storyline. Okay. Okay. Um, but Allison doesn't like Jake's do nothing approach. Um, and then like, maybe this is the stupidest thing of all where they keep having Jane with the prank calls. Literally calling and hanging up and hanging up, calling and hanging up. And yet it's starting to work again because it seems to be dividing Jake and Allison, who just last week said, I love you to each other. Yeah, um, but not anymore. I, and love then that, we have... I love that line where they were like, well, let's go over to Jane's apartment and see if she's on the phone. And it's like, by the time you get there, she's going to hang up the phone. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was their big eye. Like, we're going to get her because she's going to be on the phone when we go over there. And it's like, no, it takes 10 seconds to hang up the phone. Like, <laughs> It's yeah, just but funny because that was Allison a thing. goes over to the what's up? That was such a thing. Yeah. With like yeah. we call somebody and hang up. Yeah. yeah. But I wasn't a parent in the nineties. I know. Although I don't know that I want kids now either. Like they would be any easier. There's just new ways to f with each other. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, that was but like parents, a total. But thing. the parents can't hear it. Yeah. Uh, but there is that moment where Allison goes out to the window to look right into Jane's apartment and Jane smiles and shuts the blinds on her. Like, I mean, this is not a fun game to watch. No, it's not. And, and it's getting redundant because Allison goes to Jane's boutique and, and you know, Jane repeats how she's mad at Allison because Allison stole Jake from her. Um, and it's, it's like, you know, lather, rinse, repeat at this point. But the one thing but Allison does do is she gets the cops involved. This I wasn't clear about. Yeah, it happens off screen again. So we don't we don't see any of like the the stakes increase in this regard. Right. So but she Allison has off screen called the cops on Jane. Yeah, and so I don't quite know what the point was. I mean, they're going to get a restraining order on Jane. Like I don't quite I I didn't quite see like what the point was of the whole thing. Yeah, no, I don't either. It, did, it felt fruitless. And I can't remember, maybe it does bear fruit in the following episode or episodes. I don't remember. Okay. So I just want, I just want this to be done. Yeah, me too. Um, but we do have a, a bit more of going on with Sid, um, who talks to Sam about her, you know, unlucky dating life. Um, so Sam is like, oh, well, I have a rich friend, and I don't know if this was, like, a friend of an ex or what. But <laughs> yeah, so she, it was the friend of the ex. It was so part. This was such a, this was a great moment. Uh, I love the episode. So we, we, we meet the guy. Um, he, because, um, this is where Billy enters, right? <laughs> yes. His big scene. His big moment in the episode. So I, do you want to take it away, Alyssa? He, he yells up to Sydney, hey, whose Maserati is that it's blocking me or something like that? So that's it. I think we see him again at Shooters. Like We see him at Shooters with Sam. Yeah. But, he... I mean, I'm glad there wasn't enough, there wasn't more Billy. Um, yeah. But, although, I was getting interested in the Billy versus Craig thing at D&D. And then it turned into a Craig versus Amanda thing. So, yeah. Which was kind of... I don't know why they headed out for Billy all of a sudden. And then we sidelined Billy, but it made me laugh. Because 18 minutes in, I was like, we haven't seen Billy yet. And then I was like, where's Billy? And then here he which was. Which is usually what we say about Matt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guess Matt's not in this one. Yeah, there he is, Matt, about the Maserati. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it between that and, and its shooters. But Sid does go on her date with this guy who looks like a B-level Matthew Modine, let's say. Yes. Um, and after the date, she invites him in while she's pouring a glass of wine for each of them. He goes into the bathroom and takes <laughs> off all his clothes. 
Gwen then walks out. <laughs> and her reaction was just gold. <laughs> she oh starts smacking him she with a spatula. She kicks him out. She smacks him with a spatula. And he uh, covers himself with her pillow and leaves his she's clothes. Yelling, That's my pillow. Yeah. And she's like mad he stole her pillow. And it's like, but you have his clothes. <laughs> and he runs down the stairs. And while he's running down, guess who's coming up? Of course it's Kyle. 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 With flowers that he bought for Taylor. Um, and he gives her like a mini pep talk and gives her the flowers. And look, I I loved both of these actors going into this season. I was hoping that Rob Estes would be paired up with someone I liked on the show. So f- 24 years ago and now, like, I love the dynamic between Kyle and Sid. Um, there's some stuff ahead with them. It's just, but it's not going to be as much as I wish for I do too. I, I'm I'm rooting for them to get together, but I don't. I I well, I know you've you've told me as much. They're not going to. Yeah, I'm not saying there's nothing there, but there's not a lot there, which is a, which just, is a shame. I'm just curious because like I know how where Sid ends up and with whom, so I'm curious to see like how this Kyle stuff plays out because. You know, they even give him that cliche line of like, you know, the right guy might be right under your nose or something. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see where that goes and where the whole thing with the painting. And I still don't really understand why she had to make up a new a fake artist and why she couldn't just say Sam did it. Um, so I'm really curious to see where this goes because none of it really makes sense right now to me. Yep, yeah, well, mm-hmm. yes. You're you're looking at things with very clear eyes, so that will always be a problem <laughs> with these writers. <laughs> um, should, quick, I, before we go yeah. on to the big um the big story and the biggest reveal, um I there is a scene at Shooters where Sam sees Billy mooning over Allison um and again says she's moving on, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. and that's and that it looks like they've split up again. Yeah, you know, I sort of I know we keep talking about like a lot of the original cast is gearing up to leave after mm-hmm. this season or next season, but I wish there were some cases where I wish they had just maybe started like Billy's story is done. I feel and like Kimberly's story is done and Matt's storyline is done. And kind of like Jane's story could have been done too. Like I feel like they've reset all these characters now to justify them being on the show. That's not to say they haven't been reset a few other times, but Billy was clearly over Allison, and now it's like, well, we don't have anything else for him to do, so he's got to like moon over Allison some more, and like we have to bring up that Jake was his best friend once upon a time and pretend that they're best friends again, and like. Kimberly's story felt done, and now it's yeah. like, well, let's reset her. And like, Jane felt done after Richard died, and it's like, well, now what? Now we'll like go back to her being Allison's best friend, and that she really loves Jake. So I almost wish that season five, if they brought in, you know, the three or four new characters, that they had a couple of other people had gone with Joe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they all feel like stragglers. This is a big season of transition, and I'm glad for it in some ways because some of these are still actors that I like, and I like watching them, but they're not... Nothing that they are contributing is canon for the show. And and they were, even in season one, but certainly in two and three, which is, you know, know, the the apex of the series. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're going to talk about the... Housewives franchise shortly on this podcast, but Alyssa's always saying when we talk about different housewives who've come and gone or overstayed their welcome, she'll say often, well, the show has passed them by, meaning whatever they were contributing to the show, they don't have it to give to the show anymore. Whatever the show is giving its core audience, they can't be a part of giving that to the audience anymore. And that's true for all of them. Once Jane was no longer a part of the Michael Kimberly Sid stuff kind of didn't matter once Jake didn't have either Amanda or Joe kind of doesn't matter 
Now yeah. that Billy and Allison really seem to be like officially separate worlds, like we're good without you now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah Billy really feels like this, like he's overstayed his welcome. And like I said, if we had gone to, if he had been this like rival with Craig at D and D, then it would have been really interesting. But they didn't. They just used it as a springboard for an Amanda storyline. So it's like. Sam's not really interesting. I don't mind her, but she's not really interesting. You Their relationship's not interesting. You will mind her. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Billy, there's nothing left for Billy to do. He should have left, you know, they could, he could have got a job at a different agency, yeah. like, in New York or something, and they could have written him out. Like, taken Matt with him and, and Jane with him and... And they could have, I mean, it, it's, they could bring, if they made a drastic mistake, they could bring them back for, like, the next season and, you know, bring them back to L.A. for whatever reasons. It's not, like, goodbye forever, you know, unless you're Brooke and they kill you off. Um, and even then. Well, even then. Yeah. With Kimberly, as we've seen, even then. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely moments, like, it would make sense for after Kimberly did those bad things at that hospital she should have been committed somewhere. And then Michael would have been, you know what I mean? And then we keep Michael around, but now he needs to be a new foil for somebody else, you know, because I don't think Michael, I think Michael can exist in Mel, at, at Melrose land without Kimberly. And Do you though? Yeah. Because I feel like, and I, I think I've said this to you guys once before, when was the last time Michael had a scene with anyone that, wasn't Peter or Kim like that's why when we talked about like he and Amanda when they were trying to rescue Peter like Tom Calabro and uh, Heather Locklear worked so well together like they had a good chemistry they had a good report you know they were really good and I and I always say that Tom Calabro is like the best actor on the show at this point but um he hasn't really done much with like he really does lift right out because we don't see him interact with anyone at Melrose Place anymore. Well, I think that's the problem with having him sort of stuck with Kimberly. Do yeah. You see what I, you know what I mean? Like they, like they can't, they, they, they can't write him out of this. You know, they can't write him away from this because wouldn't it have been, I mean, if they had gotten rid of Kimberly but they had kept Jane, maybe there could have been a new connection between Michael and Jane. Yeah. Or, right. you, you know what I mean? Like, like I think there are ways that they could have, but I, it feels to me like Michael is still necessary, even if he's been sidelined. Yeah, because, like, the only... He interacts with Peter, but, like, Peter doesn't interact with anyone else at Melrose Place, except for Amanda. Well, even though he lives Kyle, there. Well, now Kyle, Kyle and, and um, Taylor. Taylor. Um, I was going to say Teddy. But, um, uh yeah, we don't see him, like, hanging out at shooters with Jake. We don't see him ever, like, interacting with Billy at the pool. Like, he doesn't... And I think that's the problem with the way the show has gone, that, like, we're so heavy on Peter and Amanda, especially yeah. Peter, that it sidelines other characters that are either more interesting or we like more because they don't fit into the Peter-Amanda storyline somehow. Well, and you just hit on something that I was going to say a little earlier in the conversation, which is, and it probably isn't a big surprise, but we keep talking about all these old school characters getting sidelined and no longer having a lot to contribute. And the only one who has really survived that is, of course, Heather Locklear herself. It's Amanda, because the writers have always positioned Amanda into the new front burner storyline and have always positioned whoever she's working alongside as that storyline is these are your A players so for now it's Peter it will eventually be someone else who's like the focal point of the show and driving story um, and it's I think at this point to almost all of these other actors peril because in order just to keep that one story afloat and her at the center like all the other ones are sort of just sitting at the periphery like making room for her big things to stay the big things on the show whether they're truly interesting or not at this point they are more interesting than the other storylines though it's by default yeah that's the problem it should none of these should be defaulting period they were all so much fun 
going on at the same time before. That's the shame. Right. And that's the change. So let's, also, so let's do Peter, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's also in this episode that Sid is going to become a hostess at Kyle's, right? Uh, yes. Yes. She, yes she di- is, now, does she remain in that position? Is that what ends up happening? I think it happens uh, uh, for a bit, yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Okay. Yeah. Girlfriend gets, has a lot of careers, though. I was just saying, I was just going to say, how many jobs has she had on this show? That is She's someone like, who never has her references checked. No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I guess when the whole uh, storyline between Amanda and Peter opens, Peter's a layabout. Um, he won't get out of bed. Amanda's a career woman. She has to get up early. So, she's pissed. So, she's well, running the blender. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's hungover from being out with uh, Kyle and Taylor very late the night before. So Amanda's running the blender, banging pots and pans, making a whole lot of noise to get him out of bed, and they have a big argument. Yeah, it's uh, for a marriage this early in, it is a big argument, and Amanda pulls out something she's been holding on to, saying that Peter is still mooning over his sacred Beth, the dead yep. first wife. And that she's the wife he really loves and that she thinks he views this as a sham marriage, which is, those are fighting words. Yeah, it really is. It's hard to come back from that. Although, didn't they only get married because she didn't want to have to testify against him? So it really kind of is a marriage of convenience. It is, though you could argue they were headed in that direction anyway. But yeah, I mean, they got married under less than romantic or ideal circumstances, yeah. Yeah, but they are trying to make it work. Yeah, although, and maybe you got something different out of, of this scene. There, Amanda is driving, and she and Peter are both, they're on the phone trying to figure out what their next steps are, and her car phone breaks up. And Peter's not really saying anything other than he thinks it would be good for him to move in with Michael and Kimberly for a few days, which we can unpack that in a moment. But um, by the time Amanda hears him again on the phone, she hears him say just that about his plans to maybe just stay with Michael and Kimberly. And and it pisses her off and she hangs up and he hangs up and that you see them both wanting the other one to call and apologize. And that's like the olive branch that they need mm-hmm to get back in sync and it doesn't happen because they're both too proud. I'm not really sure what the point is of the whole phone breaking up thing. Cause I don't know what either of them is saying that the other can't hear that would have changed anything. Well, we missed a really like key thing, or for me at least in that early scene in the morning in the apartment where she, he's like, where she says something like he's lost all his patience and I guess he's not making money. And that is a problem in their relationship because she's supporting him. Yeah. And it comes back yeah, it's again. It's not that he can't. It's not that he can't practice. It's just that supposedly okay. no one wants to be his. Like I never understand when people know things and don't know things about these people's personal lives. But um, but apparently, yeah, he has lost patience. But Michael still has patience, and Peter is still part of the practice. But, so I don't really get like what the practice out of the hospital. Because that comes back, like, doesn't um, the Michael DeBarge character say something about her supporting her husband? Yeah, when he's trying to really get under Amanda, yeah. 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 But yeah, so uh, Peter is going to move in with Michael and Kimberly for a bit, which, okay, so you're going to move in with the woman who is the source of your ruin and who tried to lobotomize you five minutes ago. Good choices, Peter. He makes other good choices, like continuing to go to Kyle's and drinking with Kyle and Taylor. Um, Mm -hmm. At one point, Amanda does come by and tries to patch things up with Kyle, excuse me, with Peter. Um, But he's drunk. He's resistant. Um, He tells her to beg, and she calls him a jerk and walks off. Um, And one thing I remember thinking then and again now is... uh, and I don't always say this, so I make a point of of saying it when I do, that Heather Locklear plays these scenes very well, I think, um, and very relatively. Yes, I agree with that. I think she's doing some very good work yeah. in these, in yeah. these I remember I remember really enjoying watching her this season in a different way, and it's because I think she's really playing it like an actress, and not even playing, like, the bitch um, or playing anything up, 
but really playing a very uh, like relatable adult here. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, it's easy to relate to her when we see her in these horrible scenes with Arthur Field, uh, like at D&D. He slams her in front of all these other employees that we've never seen before, saying he wants results. Um, and, you know, she, she stands her ground um, against him. And out of nowhere, little boy Craig shows up and he's like, oh, we've got to fly to San Francisco <laughs> to, to, to woo a client right now. Like, uh, you have to go okay, right now. Here's your ticket. Yeah. yeah, literally, he hands her the ticket. And then, yep. P- isn't this when Peter is there with flowers ready to pass Peter off? Has and he's like, up with flowers to apologize, and he gets and pissed he's off. Disappointed. Yeah. 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 And it's like, don't you see? This is what she has to do for work. You're literally in her office, and she's holding the plane ticket in front of you, and you're still pissed off. I say this every week. I don't think D&D ever replaced Allison as the receptionist. Yeah. I don't think there's any building security. I yeah. said to Doug, I was like, I know things had changed a lot after 9-11 with security, but I don't think that building has any security. No, it was never, it was, it was never like this in the 90s. There, was, there still would have been a gatekeeper at that, at that there should have been. Once Alza got that promotion, they never replaced her. It's true. Um, so, yeah, so Allison goes to, and we don't see a whole lot of Craig in this. He's he's in, he, we see him in San Francisco. Wait, wait, Amanda. Amanda. You said Allison, you mean Amanda, yeah. I, yeah, Amanda. We, we see him in San Francisco with Amanda, but but that's kind of it. And so we're, I'm still not sure kind of where he lands with this whole overthrowing Amanda thing. Yeah, I, I don't understand, and I'm not to sound like a broken record, but like, it made sense when he was supposed to be like Billy's intern and he was gonna like take over, you know, take over for Billy and like overthrow Billy. But like, I don't really get why he and his dad have it out for Amanda all of a sudden. No, he comes in like Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, the Star Wars told you like this super villain who supposedly has been there all along. We're just learning about. And he's, like, really got it in for her. And we just don't which, know why. Which I would think, like, well, doesn't he say something like, Billy was my pet project and you ruined him or vice versa? Like, you would he think does. he would, you would think he would, like, work with Billy and Craig to overthrow Amanda and we'd see more of that, like, boys club thing that we, yeah. Yeah. that we got from last season. Whereas, like, now we've, Again, sideline Billy, and he's out for Amanda. Like, well, the other thing that, yeah, the other thing I don't understand about this storyline is if Craig is his son, why doesn't he just install him in Amanda's job? Yeah, that's how nepotism works. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I don't understand why this has to be a battle. You don't have to wage the battle, you're in charge. Yeah, just just give him the office. Yeah, yeah, just fire her. I mean, I guess the idea is she's got whatever contract she worked out with them when she was sleeping with Billy that one time. I at guess that, at yeah. that thing was supposed like the Julie Newmar get, event. Yeah, yeah, the Julie like she can't get fired or something like that. But I mean, I guess the thing is like, well, there's a, there's got to be a way to sideline her. You're the boss. Like it's your, yeah. you know, just buy out her contract, get rid of. I like, mean, you could even use like. You went on your honeymoon and didn't tell anybody. Like, you're fine. You know, there's yeah. lots of reasons. Yep. And we don't need, like, they don't need to make Amanda more vulnerable for us to be on her side. We're there. Right. We've been through it with her by now. We're good. Just let her be doing her D&D thing. Uh, but I agree. If they had created Craig as a foil for Billy, it would have given Billy better story and it would have made a lot more sense. Like, right. they will keep threading Craig through with a lot of D&D shit going on through the whole season. Um, so this isn't sort of going to resolve itself in any direction anytime soon. Um, but it, it, but the way uh, they positioned themselves against Amanda is dumb. Also, I don't think we've talked about it before. It's also dumb to have a Matt Fielding and then to have a yeah. Craig and Arthur Field on the show. There's a lot of names in, in the book. I don't know why they had to have them that close. <laughs> so we're in San Fran right now. 
And um, Craig and Amanda have what looks like a very late dinner. They're drinking coffee, but it's so late that, and they're in the same time zone that Michael and Kimberly are already fast asleep. But Peter's at Michael's, so Amanda has to call Michael to talk to Peter. But Peter's not there because Peter is again at Kyle's. So Michael makes an excuse that what my, that Peter wasn't feeling well, so he gave him a bunch of pills and he's he gave yeah. A sedative, yeah. He gave him a sedative and he was fast asleep. Also, wouldn't Peter have a beeper that she could just call and beep him? He's a doctor. He would have had one in the nineties. I don't know. Maybe when he lost all his clients, the guy take them away. Too. <laughs> it was a hospital issued beeper. It was a company beeper. Maybe he had to surrender it when he was um, brought into that asylum upstate, and they just never got it back when they <laughs> But also, if, if you called me, if I called you and you were like, yeah, sorry, I gave your husband really strong sedatives, and he's out like a light, like, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't sleep easier knowing that. So, yeah, there's that. Um, but meanwhile, so Peter is again wasted. So he comes home drunk with the McBrides and Taylor puts him to bed. She takes off his shirt and puts him down on her couch and kisses him when he's passed out. And she goes, I have missed you so much. So, okay, they're teasing something here. But more importantly, and Alyssa brought this up too. <laughs> why? You live there. Peter still has an apartment at Melrose Place. Why can't he just go back to his apartment, let the McBrides take him back? He has the key to his own apartment, as opposed to, like, having to go back to Michael and Kimberly's where he's supposedly staying. I mean, Amanda, he knows, is not in the apartment anyway. If he wants distance, he'd still have it. It's so dumb. Right. It is stupid. Well, maybe they're worried about him being falling down the stairs. Sure. I buy that, but he already fell down those stairs. <laughs> We've seen him yet, too. He survived. I mean, he survived. Nary a scratch. Like a, like a cat landing on its feet. Yeah, I said that. I was like, but he lives in the complex. Like, I also like that she leaves his loafers on and takes his shirt off. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right. We're almost, we're almost at the end. The big reveal is to come. Um, Amanda very quickly is back in town. She arranges to have a dinner for her and Peter at Kyle's. Um, which a twenty five hundred dollar dinner. Yeah, yeah. She rents out the entire restaurant for twenty five hundred dollars so that they can be alone. Yeah, it's a private. It's a private evening at Kyle's. Um, Side note, and Alyssa noticed this, I did not. Uh, Taylor has the same boob pockets that Allison <laughs> had in an earlier scene. There was a lot of turtleneck work happening on this, this episode. Um, and, and so meanwhile, the dinner goes well. Peter and Amanda seem to be making up and uh, uh, that he's going to move back in. Um, and then Peter is leaving... The medical office, I'm not even sure why at this point. Right, he doesn't have any patients, but okay. Um, and he thinks he's being followed, and that's when Taylor appears from out of the shadows and reveals the truth. And I'll let you take this away, Karen. It's his dead wife's sister. Yes. So Who went by the name Victoria Davis. Her middle name was Taylor. She was Victoria Taylor Davis, and now she is Taylor McBride. So there are questions to be answered. I just feel like I'm sorry, Karen. I would like Doug. I would know your sister years from now. <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? This just took the wind out of my sails because what I was hoping, okay? We talk about the camp factor with the show all the time. I still don't quite see it, but okay. I will trust that it's there to a degree, um, 90s style. But, like, we talk about, you know what would have been the height of camp? For the wife to have lived and gotten a new face. That's great. That and would have been perfect. That's what I wanted to happen. And they didn't do it. They, they, they just chickened out, and they made it the dead wife's little sister. Yeah, who's always been obsessed with him. Exactly. Like, what? Like, there's a few there's like a few things that don't ring true here. Like 
you were married to the woman, you would have to know her sister somehow. Like, Doug, you would know my brothers. Like, I would know your sister. Like, it's so dumb. And then it doesn't make sense that Kyle has no idea. Like, you never told your husband about your dead sister and, like, the man who may have murdered her or whatever the story is. Like, it's all like everyone is dumb for convenience here. Yeah, I mean, welcome to Melrose. But, But, I mean, yeah, I agree with all of this. The only thing that I'll pivot slightly on is I could see if they didn't want it to be, it is his wife, she's still alive, she has changed her appearance, because A, that is reminiscent of the Kimberly storyline, and B, because that's such a trope that's been used in daytime for so many decades before then, but the solution they have concocted instead is no better, is because of all of the reasons you've both just enumerated. Like, it doesn't make any sense, it's not really plausible.